HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Ball Factory, a Japanese eatery and coffee shop at 95 Montrose Avenue in East Williamsburg. Learn more at brooklynballfactory.com. Hey there, HRN listeners. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears. I know that news about COVID-19 and the coronavirus has made a lot of people nervous about getting sick. This collective unease has already had a big impact on our restaurant and food communities, especially in New York's Chinatowns. We hope that now more than ever, our listeners will join us in supporting restaurants and the hospitality industry at large. Many of the restaurants we love are small, independent businesses. That means that even one or two bad weeks can put them in jeopardy of cutting staff, limiting hours, or even having to close for good. As long as we're still able, we should go out to eat and support our favorite restaurants. I think it's also great to remember that hospitality professionals are really good at hygiene and food safety practices. Long before there were guides all over the news about how to properly wash your hands, they were already experts at hygiene. Guests' health is tantamount to successful hospitality in any restaurant. And even if you don't want to go out, you can still support restaurants by ordering delivery, buying gift cards, and giving them some extra love on social media. What better way to handle a crisis than by supporting those in our own community? If we don't support them now, they might not be there when this crisis is over. Join HRN in supporting restaurants during this time, especially our friends in Chinatowns around the country. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Yannick Benjamin. We'll talk to Yannick about wheeling forward, wine, wine on wheels, and contento. A lot of exciting stuff going on. We'll taste, believe it or not, some wines Yannick brought back from Israel of all places. And we'll talk about that trip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Born straight out of Hell's Kitchen to immigrant parents, Yannick Benjamin is a sommelier in his native New York. Yannick refused to let a life-changing accident alter his dreams of college and his love of wine. He is the co-founder and director of development for Wheeling Forward and their event Wine on Wheels coming up in New York City on Saturday, April 4th. 
Yannick is soon to open his new restaurant, Contento, a groundbreaking barrier-free space in Harlem. Yannick, welcome back to the Grape Nation. And just so you know, I'll have you on anytime. Every wheeling forward, I mean, every uh, wine on wheels, any restaurant opening, you just... You just email me and say, what's up? And I'm going to go, no, what's up with you? <laughs> well, Sam, thank you very, very much for those kind words. And thank you for your friendship. And thank you for having me back. Uh, it really means a lot. All right. So let's get started. Um, I would say that a lot has gone on since we last spoke, which was a few years ago. That's correct. Um, I was excited and anxious to have you on then. And it's truly one of the more interesting great nations. <laughs> um, so thank you. Before we get into what you've been up to, I, I want you to remind people, and you know, I feel funny asking, but it's it's so who you are and what you do. Remind right. people about quickly this life. And I don't mean to. No, it's okay. Please about this life changing, sure. you know, um, incident that happened to you that really shaped the person that you are today, who you are, what you do, and all of that. And I think if people don't know, they'll understand everything we'll be talking about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, exactly what you said in the intro, born and raised in New York. Uh, my whole family was in the restaurant business, so I followed their lead. Um, pretty much from a, an early age, I had already dedicated myself, said this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Did not ever think about trying to do something else. So it was just restaurant, 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 food, food, food. And then at the age of 25 years old, um, I was in a car accident that left me permanently uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And so, yes, obviously what was life-altering was that I lost the use of my legs and, and how I was going to get around, you know, dealing with broken elevators, trying to go to someone's house, but they, they live in a five-story walk-up. Uh, stuff you took for granted. Took stuff that I took for granted, you, right. know, thing, you know, things that go, you know, that are very important. And um, so I had to really regroup. And all of a sudden now, what I thought was going to be my career, now all of a sudden I had to try to figure out, like, was I going to stay in the hospitality industry or did I need to go back to school and, and you know, figure out, you know, something else. And through, I would say through an incredible amount of support from family and friends, I was able to continue my pursuit of this dream uh, of being involved with the hospitality industry. Um, it was hard, it certainly was not easy, and there were a lot of bumps, uh, a lot of obstacles, but uh, I made it through, and I only made it through because of that support, because of that network of friends and, and, and family, and, and, and that love and that care and that support, because without it, I would not be able to, to be where I'm at right now. Emotionally, you ever doubt things? Like, this is, how am I going to do this? And even with support and a great family? Of course, and you, you know, and, and sometimes people, try to tell you things and they they're trying to help you and sometimes you know the way you take it can be kind of negative right and so you know the the, the hardest part is not allowing yourself to fall into like a, a, a dark place that deep hole and and it's not it doesn't take a whole lot because once you're in that dark place you know that deep hole um it's hard to get out and you know it's, it, that, that was a constant battle those first few years and you i never got that deep though I never, thank God. Because it, of people and your own, no, you yeah, know, exactly. inner strength, you Correct. were able to kind of stay above I that. mean, I felt, you know, I, I, I went through bouts of, like, where I was fighting. You know, I was sure. I was in round one, round two, but uh, I never got knocked out. 
but it could have easily have happened, and it could still happen. I, I'm, you know, it, mm. but luckily, I, I hard like I said, with Heidi around. Yes, correct. <laughs> that's know? correct. No, no, and um, uh, you know, having Heidi around and having her in my life like that, it just makes it so much easier. And then having great parents, that's also important. Right. Who, you know, your dad. Is he still in the business or he retired? No, he's retired, but he's still But, I mean, you know, that's an example to you to the end, 100%. right? You know, I mean, no, he retired at 66. Yeah. So you you do finish college. Right. Right? You get out of college with your eye towards hospitality. Correct. And the race is on. You know, listen to the last show for all of that stuff. But let's talk about the last couple of years. Um Kind of buzz through that with me, you know, what you're doing. Sure. Um, and, you know, that kind of leads to wheeling forward sure. and wine on wheels in the restaurant. But we'll talk more about, yeah. you know, each individual thing. Um, but tell me, just give me an update. Yeah. So um, prior to 2013, um, my full time job, I was doing retail, I was working in the West Village under a gentleman named Jean-Luc Ledoux, um, uh, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, unexpectedly. And, you know, as much as I appreciated the opportunity to work in, in that store, because it opened up so many doors for me, it's what I needed to do, um, I still really had this incredible desire to go work in restaurants and be with, you know, clients and actually opening up the bottles of wine and all that kind of stuff. And I did, uh, I did many, many sommelier competitions, which I encourage all young um, aspiring sommeliers or those that don't even want to work in restaurants or work in retail that they should do it. It's a, it's a <clears> great <throat> place to network and it's a great way, it's a great training ground. I really do. But I did that and I and one of the judges happened to be the general manager at a private club that I work at now called the University Club, uh, Mr. John Dorman. And uh, we reconnected a few years after and I, I, for, I had forgotten that he was actually one of the judges. So when I went into interview, I, the interview lasted only two minutes. And I was thoroughly convinced by this. You know, my accident was in 2003. The interview was in 2013. We're talking about 10 years. And I had already gone to many interviews in restaurants where I just got rejected or there was always some kind of excuse. And he just looked at me and he said, you, you don't remember me? And I said, no, I don't. He said, I was one of your judges. He said, do you want to work here? And I said, so I he do. made the decision on the spot. Right you're, on the spot. You're in. And then he just asked me, he said, are there any accommodations that I can make for you to make it easier? And I didn't even know how to answer that because no one had ever asked me that. Right. And so it was kind of a weird thing. And I said, well, can I think about it and I'll get back to you? And I never really did anyway. But um, he was uh, very instrumental. He was completely, um, him hiring me, him being part of my life completely changed my life. It was unbelievable. So I would say, taking the story, Ledoux and Dorman oh, were two, absolutely. you know, major, major guys. 100%. Now, now, you know, the University Club is this big, amazing space with this, you know, fancy clientele and, you know, restaurant and wine cellar and all that. Big floor, right? right. Big space. So before we move off of that, you sort of innovated something to make you get around and, and, and offer wine service, you know, in a wheelchair and all of that. Correct. Um, actually, this gentleman, uh, Jean-Paul Violet, who owns this fantastic... Uh, He's a carpenter out here who makes some of the best furniture, and he was a, he was buying wine, and we got to talking. I said, "Listen, I'm looking for a tray that I can put glasses on, bottles of wine, but I want it to look good. I want it to be pretty." 
and we worked on it throughout the years and and now i've got something that's unbelievable and and he's another guy talk about jean luc and and mr dorman he's one you know he's in that kind of like that that holy trinity you know of great he solved he, something he solved, very major that you know what may seem like a small thing for someone is a huge thing you know for myself um it goes a long way and it, it has allowed me up to now to do uh, competitions to take exams to to serve people the way they that I need to serve them and so uh, incredible. All right, so we're gonna do a couple things here. We're gonna talk about one thing and then jump ahead and kind of finish this chain that we're on because I think the next thing obviously is at some point you meet Alex and well you met Alex right you start wheeling forward yes but I, I want to save that but one of the things you know and I follow you and you know we are friends um, I've seen an amazing amount of travel that you've put yes. in in Very the last blessed. 12 15 months to me it's breathtaking and it's almost impossible to keep up with you. Uh-huh. And, you know, not to dwell on the topic, but, you know, it, it's, it's, you're talking about a guy who goes down into wine cellars and into vineyards. And, you know, you don't let anything, you know, hold you back. Right. So let's, I, I guess, let's talk about the last three, four trips. Because I think the last trip you were in is Israel. So we'll talk about that sure. last. But let's talk about, you know, some of the highlights and places that you went. Sure. And why and, you know. Of course. Um, so uh, last, uh, just a year ago, I was in New Zealand. I was out there for a little bit over two weeks. And it was incredible. Come why book the trip to New Zealand? What you wanted to try cooler pinos you didn't know much about i mean what was the yeah that's a great question i mean i I had you know listen i'm curious about everything and i i want to check it out i want to understand it. i want to understand the culture but for the longest time you know this this small island nation or these two island you know i mean there's two islands the north and the south island this five, five million people how they've had this major impact on the american market with wines and i think their pinots are stunning i think their chardonnays are stunning there's Sauvignon Blancs that I had from smaller growers, like blew me away, some fabulous Syrahs and some uh, Bordeaux blends. I think it's it's an incredible place. And from north to south, how incredibly different the, the you know geology changes, the landscape changes, and just the people are different too, which is really cool. But one thing that does not change amongst them is how incredibly kind and generous. It's just really the nicest people. And I, I loved every minute of so it. So you were impressed with the wines? Oh, I mean, uh, you talk about high quality. You're still drinking, you know, I, New Zealand Pinots. Yes, I mean, I don't, I don't work for New Zealand. I have no, 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 I know, but but, but the, but the you quality would, is unbelievable. Yes, you would uh, recommend them. Um, did anything? You know, I always hate to put people on the spot, and sometimes you feel like you're excluding people. But are there one or two makers or wines that you know just caught your attention? I would, I will say this, so I don't like, you know. Okay, but the, the that's one, I was yeah, trying yeah, to avoid. Yeah. I mean, one region that really blew me away was the Martinborough area. It's the, it's in the southern part of the North Island, and they focus on Pinot Noir. So and look I, for Martinborough as yeah. a region for Pinot. Yeah, they, they dig totally in for the better it. makers, and you're going to hit good wines. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I definitely um, Central Otago. You know, I, O-T-A-G-O, oh, Central Otago. They, they, Pinot's there too, right? Pinot's, and Chard- Chardonnay's, Riesling. And listen, um, Marlboro, even though it, it has its reputation. That's the old of like, Sauvignon. But I, we went out there, me and Heidi, and we loved it. Um, a lot of small growers out there that are overshadowed by some of the bigger producers and nothing wrong with them, but some really good stuff happening out there. Some good Chardonnays out there as well, some Pinot Gris and some um, Pinot Noir obviously out there. So good stuff happening. No All doubt right, about so it. So give me... 
<laughs> you know, New Zealand, right around the corner, easy trip, two the, weeks, the, no big right, deal. Right? Exactly. All right, so give me uh, another trip, next trip. So the next trip uh, went out to France uh, right after that in May, and that was in, we did Champagne, Chablis, um, Burgundy, but in, while we were in Burgundy, we did the whole Côte d'Or, um, the Côte Chalonnaise, um, into Beaujolais, and then the Maconnais, yeah. So you covered a lot. We covered a lot of ground, yeah, um, in about two weeks. And Champagne, you tried to get to as many producers as you could? Yeah, we. the one producer we spent a lot of time with was with, uh, with François Hure, H-U-R-E. Right. Um, no, no, no. This different? is um, this is François and then Ure H U R E. Oh, I'm thinking. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking. Yeah, and oh, uh, Ure uh, Frère and Fils and and those those champagnes. I mean, I knew of them. I've had them, but actually spending time there and 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 really understanding their philosophy was unbelievable. I thought they crushed it. Were you? at smaller growers and big houses or mostly with the... we did we actually visited renard too so right. Ure was a complete opposite right. spectrum of that to renard and it's good for you to, it's great of there. course that's what, and you should do that you know and then and then we went to shibley and you know we always every year we, we were in shibley for the like last six or seven years and we always visit domaine christian um uh, moreau who is a good friend of ours and we, he's just an unbelievable gentleman and we always have great visits and then one of my favorite wineries out there too, besides him, is Domaine Pinson. Um, Spell P I N S O N. P I N S O N. Pinson. Yeah, up and coming, and okay. they've been around for a long time, but I think they're they're making their market uh, um, presence. Expensible, called. expensive, or reasonable? No, you can find some really okay. good. Okay, so that's uh, a good thing to very, look for. Very, very, very affordable. Yeah. Then you get to Burgundy. Burgundy's crazy because of all the. I mean, you probably picked who you wanted to see. I mean, we went to visit a small producer um, uh, called Chantreves. Um, small, very, very hot right now. Very hot. C H A N T R E V E S. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, very hot now. And and, uh, and good value. Unbelievable. You good were impressed with the wines. Oh yeah, I think. And I, I you know, first off, they're, they're, they're the people that are behind it, the couple, you know, Tomoko and her husband, nicest people in the world. Uh, they're making, and they're only starting. They're just like you know, you, they're just hitting their stride. I can't wait to see them in another few years. But they're, right. what they're doing is incredible. Right around the corner from them, we went to visit uh, Domaine Bees with uh, Chiza Bees B I B I Z E, and she, which was really cool because the winemaker at both properties are, are overseen are both Japanese, right? So, which so is I, for for Burgundy. It's unbelievable, and they're they're the nicest can be, and I just yeah, she's a great... sort of a becoming a mini legend there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she was just in New York for La Paule, well, La Paule which is a big Burgundy festival, correct. which you participated yeah. in. Um, so you really got to handpick and spend time with yes, what are important exactly. I'm, I'm very blessed lines. because. Um, Becky Wasserman and her team are very generous with me. They're very kind. They support, you know, all my uh, initiatives with Wheeling Ford. But I can contact them, and they'll do their best to try to get me some appointments. So I'm very, very blessed in that in that fact. Very lucky. All right, so that's a big trip. Do you go anywhere else besides before Israel, or Israel's next? I'm trying to think. Oh wait, didn't you say Northern Italy? I was in Northern Italy in, in November. I was in Oregon too. After that. Some great producers too, you know Mimi Castell, who's doing some really fantastic. What's her stuff. son Ben, or is it? Ben? No, no, no. She, so she, uh, uh, her family is from the uh, Castile family, and I'm trying Bethel Heights. Right. And then she went off to do her own thing. Right. And she's doing some really fabulous stuff. And then of course we went to visit Larry Stone over at Lingua, Lingua Franca, Franca, and those wines are just absolutely dynamite. It's a um, collaboration with. Um... With Dominique Lafon. Right. Yes. I yes, mean, exactly. Kind of bad Larry no, and Dominique, that, right? No, yeah, no, no. It's <laughs> a pretty good combo. It was yeah. A, yeah. And Larry's just beautiful you know, wine. Yeah, be 
beautiful wines. Um, and they're killing it out right now in the yeah. Willamette Valley. Um, the, the Oregon and Willamette in general, it, it's sort of a hot spot, right? It's a total hot spot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those are wines to look for. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can still find some fairly good value. And then actually, just prior to that, uh, we were out in the southwest of France. So all the off-the-beaten stuff, Madiran, Armagnac, the Jorosan. Um, Cahors. Um, so we visited some really cool stuff out there. And you want to talk about wines that over deliver for the for the price and 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 really the quality. It's really that's Southwest. People need to start yeah. paying attention. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we could do a show on Cahors or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you you mentioned a lot of things, but you're right about that. I mean, those are regions with some great producers. I love it. All yeah. right, then. Then in November was uh, Northern Italy, and I did the Atuadige. Um, you know, I visited Hofstadter. I spent a lot of time there with him. Drove around a very spectacular place in the Atua Adige. Um, some incredible terroir. Uh, just a beautiful place. If anyone can ever have a chance to drive up north, please do so. And then Friuli. I was out there for a couple of days, and I loved that. Great uh, whites great, up there. Yeah, some really great whites. Some really good reds. reds. Some good Rafosco out there, too, you know. Right. Um, and then uh, had a great visit at, with Quintarelli and uh, Valpolicella. That was pretty wild, too. Very cool. One of the most beautiful sellers I've ever been to. He's, Quintarelli is, you know, the guy, right? It's I mean, they're, like, they are definitely the king of the uh, Verona Hills. Yeah. yeah. There's no doubt about that. There's no, I mean, and, and their stuff is just spectacular. I mean. And then yeah. you go to Israel, right? And then I go to Israel. I went to Israel in, uh, I just got back. I mean, I'm, well, yeah. the first two weeks of February. What was the thinking there? Was it a wine focus thing? Was it a mixture of you know what Israel as a land offers and there's a wine scene there? I mean, I, I'm very good friends with this family that, that loves wine. Um, and they, they're deeply passionate about Israeli culture and Israeli wine and food. And we just got to talking. And I said, well, if you ever go to Israel... I want to come with you because, you know, so I want to fuck. Big ding, ding, we're going to Israel. And you then coming? all of a sudden, that's what happened. And they're like, and so we just traveled with them. And they, they know Israel like the back of their hand because Ari uh, Hochberg, who actually owns um, Israeli Wine Direct, it's an importer, right? But we went there just as friends. And um, him and his wife, they just took me and Heidi along. And we, we just had this incredible ride through, you know, went through the Dead Sea, went to the Golan Heights. It was just, yeah, it was just spectacular all around, you know, the old city in Jerusalem. And and so it's just a spectacular place. Uh, I mean, the Middle East is just, you know. There's nothing like it. it there's nothing like there's it. Nothing, you know, there's so much going on. Uh, yeah. I it, mean, between, you know, you know, Christianity, Judaism, oh you know. Oh you know the Arab culture, Palestine. It, really, it's it's just you know, and then you throw wine in and all of that. Um, towards the end of the show, we're gonna talk about and taste uh, a couple of the wines. Yeah. So I'm guessing because you have a lot of stuff going on, you're kind of you staying put for a little bit for now. I'm I'm staying put. I mean, I was supposed to go to uh, Italy for Vin Italy, but that bad idea. A bad idea, obviously. Uh, yeah. Which it you know went in a long run it like works out for me because i should be staying put right. and, and you know i've got a lot of projects on i'm my happy head. to hear that yeah thank you because people but when we're done with the interview they'll know why like this guy was going to italy he's nuts but, yeah, yeah but you yeah. are anyway but all right so that leads me so we jumped to travel because i think that was a big part of your life and thank uh you. in the last year and you know you really took in a lot of stuff 
But I think one of the things that's an important part of your life and is top of mind right now because of things going on is an organization you started called Wheeling Forward. Correct. Tell everyone quickly, you know, how Wheeling Forward came about. Yeah. Not uh, that long ago. Was it 2013? Yeah, you, yeah 2012. 12. Right? Yeah, so right there. Um, I was injured in 2003, did my rehabilitation for about three, four months over at Mount Sinai Hospital on the Upper East Side. And my roommate happened to be this gentleman, Alex Alagudin, who we're now best friends. And um, he was in a separate car accident. He's a quadriplegic, so he's a bit, he's paralyzed from the chest down. I'm paralyzed from the waist down. And we just befriended each other. He's, we have very similar kind of family backgrounds, only he's uh, Russian, I'm French. But we noticed that we had this incredible, you know, support of family and friends always coming to visit us. But the other patients on the same floor with us, no one was visiting them. So that side story is like, whoa. Yeah, yeah like, like even though we... I feel for these guys. Yeah, even though we, we were going through this whole life alternative, you know, kind so of... So were they, so they without were, family. But without family. Right. And they had these anxieties that we did not, because they, they were not going home. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't have the resources to, to, to do simple home modifications. Um, some of them lived on five-story walk-ups. So they were going to nursing homes. And we're like, well, like this is not fair. Like, how is this even possible? And so we knew that we needed, like, when we were going to leave rehabilitation, that we we're going to take our time, get our life back, get our lives back together, and then eventually maybe start something. And then in 2012, we felt that the time was right. He he had got, you know, he went to school. He's a, he's a lawyer, filled out all the, you know, the paperwork to for the to become a 501c3, which is a nonprofit, and that's what happened. And we went to work. We went at it. And you started the organization. I started the organization. And it's a simple mission, mission statement, you Very know, simple. to help people that were recently, for all the things you said, exactly. maybe didn't have support or needed immediate attention to getting into their apartment. It, but it, we want to support people, especially, no one ever taught, it's all about the cure and we support that initiative. But what about the now and, and quality of life? You know, you know, maybe someone doesn't have the financial resources to put grab bars, or they need to they need a, a fix up um, on their wheelchair, things of that nature. And that's what that's what it's all about. That's what we really want to focus on. And that's what we're trying to focus on. So yeah. So those are the programs. There, and we have a bunch of programs. Right. I mean, and, a couple worth mentioning. Yeah, of course, you know, absolutely. That, I mean, everything we just discussed falls into that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And we have we have two wellness and physical fitness centers, uh, one in Brooklyn, one up in Harlem. Um, it's a great place for people with disabilities to go to. They can go work out. All the equipment is adaptive, but then also be amongst their peers, which is also great. Right. Um, and then, you know, knowing you not being able to sit on your hands, you had to put some kind of wine aspect to this, right? You know, to wheeling forward. So you develop this Correct. concept that is uber successful and uber brilliant. Let's talk about wine on wheels. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, listen, um, uh, you know, a lot of this was just inspiration from, like, industry grand tastings, from people like Daniel Jonas, who started this all, and all that. And then, you know, I just kind of took that concept and then, you know, created something a bit different. But, you know, that's where the inspiration came from. And so started Wine on Wheels because we needed to, in order for us to be a nonprofit, you need money, right? Without money, you can't really do much, unfortunately. You know, you can, you can hug people, you can give people words of encouragement, but sometimes you need that money to actually be, to, to actually make a difference, unfortunately. That's just the reality of it. And so on our first one, we were able, we were able to get the space donated. We were able to get all the wines donated. 
all the sommeliers, all the retailer retail partners, they, they all came through, all got involved, super generous, not just a product, but of their time. And that's how it all began, and that's where we're at right now. And let's get a little more specific. So which number wine on wheels is coming up in april this is our ninth one actually yeah all right so we're talking new york because you know let's talk about new york because that's That's kind of in front of us yes and then we'll talk about other cities past and coming sure you know the future so on april 4th which is a saturday Mm -hmm. from what time from when to when it starts at 12 um and ends at four o'clock it's an afternoon grand tasting we do have a master seminar. There's some tickets available. There's some you yeah. could go in and learn stuff. Yeah, and that's with Arvid Rosengren, who is you yeah, know another with best sommelier in, in the world. world. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, partner at Legacy Records, right. and he's going to do something on the Iberian Peninsula. So we've got things of that nature, and we have fast track seminars during the actual grand tasting. So some really cool stuff. So you could duck out and listen to a quick yeah, fast just track. Yeah, want to chill out. And Aldo Sam is doing one of them. Um, you know, Lisa Granick, Master of Wine. She's doing uh, another one. You know, so we've got some uh, a really cool lineup of people. So you said earlier, so it's at City Winery. Yes. City Winery Lisa, one, recently yeah. moved. Yeah. Um, it's City Winery, New York. I think it's 25 11th Avenue at 15th Street. That's right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's you know, it was pretty far west, but now it's way west. Yeah. Um, are tickets and opportunities still available? Oh, absolutely. I know you have like an early entry VIP sure. yeah, and all yeah, that stuff. Sure. Um, we'll do it now. We'll do it later. If people want more information, the best thing is to go online. Yeah. Just go on, uh, wineonwheels.org. Dot org. Yeah. Wineonwheels.org. Um, and I think one of the fun things for most people is there's a walk around grand tasting. That's correct. And that's all the wines that you've worked hard, you know, to get donated and all that. That's correct. But the amazing thing is you go up to a table and maybe there is you know, wines from a port. Becky Wasserman picked right. a bunch of wine. And and standing behind there is like Dustin Wilson and Harvard right. Road. You right, know, right, right. You, the, you've been able to wrangle the best psalms to, yeah. you know, help you with this. So people should know that that's an experience, you know, it's fun. In, in itself. Exactly. So you could taste wines, there's the seminars, and then another source of revenue, which is... We have the silent auction. We, so we have about over 50 different lots. Um, it's a great opportunity to get some great bottles of wine for a good price, to be quite honest with and you. And a good cause. And for a good, yep, exactly. And then also we have our live auction. We have three different auction items that we, we, we do, we push, and that goes over really well. So keep your eyes open for that. And I'm hoping, I think I know the answer, but each year the lots... There were more lots and better stuff. And, yeah, exactly. And, correct. and all of that. Correct. All right. So that's Wine on Wheels in New York coming up Saturday, April 4th. And that's, you know, I reached out to Yannick probably a month ago and I said, boy, we haven't spoken in a while. Mm-hmm. You have an event com- coming up, you know, any way I can help. So we're here talking about that. Thank you. Um, now, you've done it in how many other cities? So we just did one in January of 2020 in Chicago, which was incredible. We had good market a, for that. Great market. Okay. Incredible market. We had such. You'll go back. Our, oh yeah, with, with uh, without a doubt. Um, and that like the first one there was it was very strong. Like, I mean, exceeded my expectations. Last year in August of last year we did one in, in Portland. So we'll try to do that every few years in Portland, and that was very that was cool. It was chill. We had a lot of growers from the Willamette Valley great group of people and definitely want to do that again and then uh 
we're doing a third one out in Washington, D.C., still making slow progress out there organically. Um, but a great market, too. We love D.C. I think well. D.C. is a good market. We know, love D.C. Upscale, uh, wine collectors, oh, no, intelligent. I guess uh, we're just still trying to find our, right. our niche out. You know, our, but we're, so we'll you're get determined there. to make D.C. Oh, yeah. I love D.C. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great market. Um, after New York, just before we uh, stop talking about it, um, is there anything scheduled after New York, or there's a break until then? No, um, there's um, on May seventh. Um, we are going to do a, an event called Albariño Albariño, which is an event that we work alongside with uh, Patrick Mata, who's the owner of Ole Obregado, and that'll be over at Tribeca Grill. And it's a tasting; it's the only exclusive tasting of Albariños from all over the world, not just from Maria Spicias. Obviously, that like most of them will be from that region. But, you know, you've got uh, Albarino from uh, upstate, New York, you've got California. So. You've got the category covered. Yeah, so it's a, yeah. So Albarino, you and I would agree, is a good summer wine. Great summer and wine. And this thing is timed. Be silly to do it in the middle of the winter. Yeah. So it's timed. So if you're looking, f- if you're tired of that big name Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc or the crappy whites, this would be a fun thing to explore. That's some, the whole reason you're doing it, some, right? Some fabulous stuff. But, you know, the versatility on Albarino is unbelievable. Um, you know, and, and there's styles that can be rich. So you can have some of them in the wintertime. But, yes, you know, definitely with some shellfish. Yeah, all wine. Yeah, I mean, rosé isn't but, just but, but for definitely, a summer. But, 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 yeah, but it's, it's a, definitely worth Low in alcohol. At. It's just a balanced wine. It's beautiful. Um, information on that, where would you go? Wineonwheels.org? Yeah, so some information will be – it's not posted up yet. Okay. Um, but it, it'll come up as okay. well, yeah, for sure. Um We'll remind people of that. All right, Yannick, we have to take a quick break. Um, When we come back, we still have a lot of stuff to do. I want to talk to you about Contento, which I think is an interesting project, and I want to hear about it. Absolutely. Um, I want to see if we could squeeze in the wine list and get your answers, maybe compare them to yours from two years ago. Um, And I want to taste some of these wines. Um, which are interesting and uh, grateful for you for bringing them in. Yes. We're talking to Yannick Benjamin. Um, as you can see at this point, Yannick's got a lot, lot of stuff going on. This is Sam Ben Ruby from The Great Nation. We'll be right back and uh, find out more from Yannick. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Ball Factory, a Japanese eatery and coffee shop at 95 Montrose Avenue in East Williamsburg. Brooklyn Ball Factory uses the best ingredients to make Japanese comfort food, like their bento boxes featuring meatballs, grilled veggies, Japanese fried chicken, or pork shabu-shabu. Plus, visit Brooklyn Ball Factory's sister restaurants, Momo Sushi Shack, Samurai Papa, Samurai Mama, Bozu and Kitade Shokudo. Learn more at brooklynballfactory.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, sommelier Yannick Benjamin. Uh, Yannick. You are involved in a very interesting project. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in the throes of opening a restaurant. Correct. And 
It's up in Harlem. That's correct. Yeah. And I want to talk about that. But there's two things about Psalms that I've kind of realized doing this show. They either they, they want to get off the floor, <laughs> and they either want to make wine, right, or you know they want to own their own place, right. Now you've done a lot of different things. I mean, wheeling forward enough is enough for you know any one guy. What was the compulsion? You know why? Right. Why I wouldn't say complicate your life because I don't think you're a guy that looks at things as complications. No. But why add more? Well, you know, I I'm 42 years old, but I as long as I can, I want to be able to work to four. I I really I mean I'm an active guy. I'm an athlete. I do marathons. So that issue of me working the floor, um, it's just not a problem for me. That I, feeds you. It feeds me. I know people. And, and you're in the window where it's still exciting. It, for, oh, I. Well, let's go. I, I love every minute. I mean, I work at the university club. I'm on the floor there and it never gets boring. Of course, I have my days where I just don't want to work. I mean, right. who doesn't? But in general, it's something that I absolutely adore. I love human contact. So that it's so important for me to be on the floor. And I think. You know, through the years, as I was still having this obsession of wanting to get back on the restaurant floor, I would have people tell me, you know, Yannick, like, the only way for you to ever work on the restaurant floor again is for you to open up your own place and have it built around you. And then I, it always stuck with me. And I kind of like, you know, developed a little chip on my shoulder, I think in the best possible way. But, you know, I always thought that I was going to do something. But of course, you know, it's New York City. It's super expensive and it's, it's very challenging. And I started looking around, keeping my eyes open, and of course, with the support of my wife, Heidi, and all that. And I, I ran into this guy, um, a friend of a friend, and he had found this location, and we got to talking, and we became partners, um, Lorenz Skeeter. Um, and he said, let's do this. Let's open up a small joint. It's a, it's a you know, 50-seat restaurant on, you know, in East Harlem on, on, on 111th Virginia Park in Madison. But I, I, I could not be more excited. So I don't see it as something that... That that's a difficulty. I see it as something that's exciting, and I. It's funny. I don't. I'm not. I don't stress out about it. I'm just excited to get it open. That's what I want. That's my anxiety. I just want to get it open. That's it. Even with all the stuff that's thrown at you, whether it's of permit or building delays, you, you find a way to take that in stride. Listen, there have been. I mean, every little cliche that 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 people told me that's, that was going to ha happen to me times two, right? And then, and then we've got this coronavirus, right? That's happening, right? And that's an issue too, and all that. But you know, external forces you cannot control. There's some things you just cannot control, and instead of just like complaining about them or letting it defeat you, you just have to learn how to work with it. And that's the bottom line. And that's what's happened. And I know that this coronavirus is not going to go away anytime soon. I, I, I I'm fully cl I'm clear on that. I've accepted that. But how can we make this still happen and still where people still need to go out to eat and people still need to be around each other? And that's but you and I discussed off air. You know, even a restaurant could provide takeout delivery. Absolutely. So even in a trying time, Absolutely. you can provide service. For sure. I, I know my wife is probably home listening and saying, why can't you be and think more like Yannick? Why can't you no, be more positive on. and upbeat uh. and all that? All right. So the name of the place is? The name of the place is called Contento. C-O-N-T-E-N-T-O. -E Contento. And that means happy both in Spanish and Italian. Okay. But it also describes me because I was trying to, you know, a word that I associate myself, and that's happy. But 
Contento is also to pay homage to the old Italian immigrants of East Harlem. And then also, the this was the El Barrio. Uh, it, was, it still is. Right. Uh, it's still a good amount of Puerto Rican people that live there. And it's an homage to them. You know, I don't want to be that guy. Listen, I grew up in Hell's Kitchen. I kind of went through that whole phase of gentrification and all that. And I don't want to be that guy. I want to, like, make it, you know... I, I, I want I want this place to be open for everybody. I'm not looking for like you know the 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 young rich millennials to come in. I want this place to be built so everybody can come in. We've got housing projects around us. Like I want those guys to come in. I mean I this do, do these doors are open for everybody. I want to so make that very clear. It's a neighborhood place. Absolutely. That skews to everyone. A hundred percent in the neighborhood. Not just millennials who think coming uptown is cool. No. Old people who live there and come out three nights a week. It's for everybody. Yeah. Um, tell me about the concept. Let's talk food and wine Absolutely. first. And then I want to talk space. Uh, um, first off, I think what's really important is to mention, you know, the chef. His name is Oscar Lorenzi. Uh, he's Peruvian. But, you know, his training, a lot of it is, is you know, classically French trained. But this guy... He's so well-connected. He's so um, passionate about this world of food and wine, by the way. He loves wine, and he knows a heck of a lot about wine. And so he, his background, he worked as a chef at uh, Marseille, at the Waverly Inn, at Nice Matin. And, Good places. And, and the most important thing when we got together, I said to him, I said, are you the type of chef that just wants to stay in the kitchen, or are you the type of chef that's going to bring out the dishes and serve it to the guests? And he's like, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to serve, you know, that's customers. That's what you want. And and he, I said, great, that's it. And he and he's so easy to get get along with. And I, I'm I'm excited about it. I mean, he's just so, and he's great. His food is great, but his passion and who he is is what really excites me. He'll add to the whole. He's uh, going to add to, and it. he'll be visible. He's going to be visible. This is his coming out for sure. This is his time. Yeah, I'm sure he'll get some good uh, notice and notices. Oh, absolutely. Now, how do you develop a wine program? I know you and him could sit down with the food yes. and develop the menu and all that. But, you know, you're the wine guy supreme. You can't have everything no. because of the money and no. space and all that. No. What do you want to try to accomplish there? Well, listen, at the beginning, we're, we're going to have to be very realistic. Um, you know, by the time the opening comes, we're not going to have a whole lot of money in our in our bank account. We're going to have to have some working capital. <laughs> but but um, I think, the listen, our rent is incredible. We have a very good, and when I say very good rent, listen, I'm a born and raised New Yorker, and I don't pay anything market value. Let me make that very clear, right? You know, some other people, Why they, should want, you? they want to pay 40 grand for a, a space. That's, you know, you're already shooting yourself in the foot. That's not what we're trying to do. But the rent is very cheap. So I, with the wine list, I think what you're going to notice is it's going to be priced slightly above retail prices. We're going to do things like where I'm going to have a special reserve list of like maybe 20 different wines. And they're going to be marked up just like retail prices, you know, once a week, you know, so people can come in. And they can have the opportunity to have perhaps like a Petit Chabri from Raveneau for X amount of money that we were allocated at. And it's not about making money, but it's giving people the opportunity to taste these wines or something interesting that no one sees. But it, it, again, price but it's also the person serving the wines to add on to the experience along with the food of, of Oscar Lorenzi. Sounds like a great experience. Um, sounds like value. It's all, yes. You know, it sounds like, you know, there's going to be a good diversity. But do you even know where you want to go? Does it lean French? Do you have to be American? I mean, it's, I, it, I, it's, it's whatever makes sense. Yeah, no, listen, you know, my background's French. I love French food, but I think you're going to see an influence of, uh, you know, of, of some French dishes, not classic, but a play on those dishes. Right. Italian, 
you're going to see a heck of a lot of stuff um, uh, of some Peruvian dishes, Peru too. Peru is a hot food It's scene. unbelievable. So here's it's a guy sort of on the cutting edge of he's what on people the, are looking edge. for. And he's so involved. I mean, like, I, I've gone out with this guy many times. And can I tell you, the chefs come out. But it's not the chefs that just come out. It's the actual cooks that come out and say hello to him. And that, to me, says a lot. You know, when you see, you know, the line cooks who know... And, he, because he's such a nice guy, but he's so enthusiastic. He wants to know about everything and everyone, and so that's what's really. So he he's 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 rel, he's keeping relevant to what's happening with the, the change of cuisine, and that's what we want. I was just to say that fits into what you want to be seen as, what you want to present. All right, now space wise, here's your opportunity right. that you've been thinking about. Correct. I'm sure lying in bed, looking up, going literally floor plans right, right. and stuff. So. What can we expect, you know, when we walk in? Well, I think from the naked eye, most people would not know that the restaurant was designed for a guy okay. who's going to work as a sommelier or as a manager in a wheelchair, right? But, you know, the tabletops that I've made are especially designed for someone in a wheelchair so they can comfortably eat, you know, so that they're not obstructed by the actual table base or the, 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 the height of the table is too short, their knees are banging into it. Um, there are going to be four seats at the bar that are, are counter uh, counter seating, so people can eat at the bar and drinks if you're if you want to just like sit, stay in your wheelchair. Um, down the road, we're certainly working on it right now. I want to make sure that we have menus in Braille available. Um, but as for myself, I can get around without any issue, and it's a small space. It's not a big space, it's right? A 50 you don't have this big canvas but to we, work we, with. We, we've been, you know, I'm blessed because the team that I work with, the team that I have assembled. They're completely supportive. And there were times where I'm like, well, you know what? Don't worry about it. We can put a few more tables over there. And they're like, no, we're not doing that because you need to be able to get around. We want you to get, get around. And this is what it's all about. So it's, it, it's you know, again, how lucky am I to be able to work with such great people like that, that are willing to say, we don't need that one table there because... Right. It, it's it, not about squeezing the money out. Exactly. Because if everything clicks, it'll be right. And Correct. All Correct. that, you, you got know, it. the money. That's right. Are there... Listen, you've been around New York as much as me. Are there any places that even come close to that kind of thought? I think the you know there there more more uh, more and more. I mean, I, I think Charlie Bird does a pretty good job. You know, they have a great wheelchair access, right. wheelchair accessible bathroom and just accessibility for that main floor is great. Uh, Cork Buzz Wine Studio, yes. Laura Mannix's place is, is, is. But these are people that are thoughtful people too. Very thoughtful people. You know, Laura and Grant and all those guys. No, they're at the other. Place. They're great. You know, and so there's a lot of places like that. But there's not a place that um, you know we're talking about diversity, right? So. Myself and my partner, George Gallego, he's a paraplegic too. He's my partner. Um, and then I didn't know we that. have investors. We have two investors that are also full-time wheelchair users. So we have, I mean, talk about this is wow. one of a kind, really. It is one of a kind. I mean, I don't want to be known as the the, 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 the disabled-owned restaurant. That's not what I want to go by. But I think it's just something to keep in mind because, you know, most people... They, they, they box us into a category like, well, you should probably be working behind the desk or maybe become a lawyer, you know, disabled friendly jobs. Um, but here we are. I think the, the, the key to keep in mind is that we're really kind of opening the horizons, you know, that people with disabilities can do much more than just have a desk job, you know, because at the end of the day, you don't want to just work to have to work. Who wants to do that? You want to have passion. You want to have doing. passion. You know, and everything that you said talking about the restaurant before we talked at the end about your partners and, you know, the disabilities, it sounds like an amazing place. That's what it's about. It's about putting what you think is the best, most exciting opportunity under your, 
you know, controls and all of that. So we're looking at approximately a May opening. May opening. And we're also going to have a program there too during the day where we're going to have training programs. And it's going to be called the Disciples Canteen. Okay. And the Disciples Canteen is going to be a place for people with disabilities and those of minority backgrounds to come in and learn how the, the, the world of hospitality, cooking, nutrition, and all that, and, and give them the opportunity. Because some people, if you don't have the foot in the door, if you don't know the right people, how do you actually start? So hope this will be a place where they can actually get that mentorship and then networking. Especially people of color. Especially Brown with and people. Black. Absolutely. You know, in that neighborhood to promote that kind of environment Absolutely. in that neighborhood. I think Absolutely. it's a terrific thing. Absolutely. Um, you will keep me up on 100%. specific openings. And, you know, I'll give a shout out when things are happening. Um, so good luck to you. Thank on you. Contento. I'm excited for you. Thank on you that. so much. Um, all right. We got the last part of the show. I want to uh, subject you to our wine list. You've done this once before. It's five questions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you about your taste. Don't overthink these. Don't dwell on them. Just answer the freaking question. All right? Okay. Fair um, enough. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? Now, technically, we're drinking Israeli wine, but that also, what's in your fridge? What are you trying? What are you tasting? You know, yeah, seasonal. What's, what's the now stuff for you? Well, I'm I'm a big big fan right now of what's happening in Spain. There's okay. some really so cool. So Spain as a country. Spain as a country. Now I, let's break it down a little in there. Um, there's a producer called Rodrigo Mendez. M e n d e z. Yeah, he's making. Out, he's making. He's out in uh, Rio Spicious, making some stunning. Rio Spicious is a very cool area it's for a, one. It's a, one of the prettiest places in the world. Okay. It's such a really cool place, you know. And then you've got these guys called Commando G, who are making. Hotter than anything they're, right now. They're making like young you know, crazy guys, right? Yeah, they're just they're just making some stunning fun labels with the big lettering and all that. All all of, all of that good stuff. I mean, like I just absolutely love. And then you have Laura Lorenzo, who's um she's out in Riviera Sacra, which um, is another cool region, another cool place. Um, this other uh he's a partner too as well um in in Ole, but uh, Alberto Orte, he's using indigenous varietals. Making some really cool stuff, some great winemaking. But I mean, Spain is just something that I absolutely adore. And then I love wines from Valtellina, Valtellina, Northern Italy. Okay, what are there's a producer out let's there? Tell people the grapes first. Yeah, so it, it's locally known. It's Nebbiolo, but locally known okay. as Chia Vanesca. Okay, and Valtellina is way up north. It's as north as you can get in, in the Lombardy region. It's a, probably about a two hour drive, eh, maybe a little bit more um, from Milan. And it's it's just east on the northern tip of Lake Como, okay? And it's the most spectacular. Um, so great place to visit. Unbelievable, incredible wine, incredible wine. Sounds like a it's, home run. Yeah, and um, the, sure, the food's pretty good. One about of my it. favorite visits. Me and Heidi went to visit them. I think it was two years ago. It's called produced two two guys, two young guys called Derupi. Um, Spell. D-I-R-U-I-P-I. I believe that's his okay. but I'll double check. But they, they're making some really cool stuff. And I think that in their passion, and they're, they're just really fun guys to be around. But spectacular place. Absolutely love it. So that those are some good ones. So big shout out to Spain. Valtellina, any other place? Listen, and, and listen, I, I, I've got to show love to, you know, New York too as well. There's some great stuff in, in, in New York happening, you know, the and particularly in the Finger Lakes. You Finger know, Lakes are... Um, Nancy Ireland, she's a great winemaker, world-class winemaker over at Red Tail Ridge. 
Um, you have Ravines, and then of course you have Veemer, which is always a standout. They've been around. They've been around, you know, for a long time. That I think they're doing a great job. And I and I always love Pominock from um, out east of Long, long Island. Island. Yeah, Kareem, the Masood family. They're yeah. they're doing a fabulous job. Yeah, they need uh, Long Island needs a, needs a little love. They're starting to come into a stride. I too. think they're starting to figure out their climate and they're planting grapes that are appropriate. And they're doing a great job. I thought I, I was I've always loved Pominock. All right, let's keep moving. Um, because you. Your parents were French, restaurant business, you've been in it, favorite wine and food pairing. It's probably got to be something when the whole family's sitting around, and it's just right. I mean, you don't eat it every night or even every, but what's the classic? Not what you think is, but what you enjoy as a favorite wine and food pairing. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think in general, like a juicy Beaujolais, you know, I mean, I Chateau du Moulin Avant, which could be a little bit more serious, the great property down in Moulin Avant and, and Beaujolais. But, you know, something like Beaujolais is always a great little pairing with pâtés and um, charcuterie. You know, that's what I really, that's what I like to eat. Simple food, simple products and all that. I love that. Juicy garnacha from Spain. I mean. It fits the same bill for exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Those are good ones. All right. Um, favorite wine, restaurant, and or bar. Um, and, you know, I, I run into this every now and then because you don't want to leave anyone out. No, of course. But there are a couple of people, I'm asking you to mention a few, not pick your favorites, right. that has the selection, the passion, yeah, sure. the food, the list. Sure. You know, you walk in and you go, this is easy. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think what Caleb Ganser is doing over that at Company Com- is a show I mean, favorite. It, it's a, I, I just went over for the first time over to La Lou, which is owned by Joe, Joe Campanelli, Campanelli, who's like who used to do a show. What a what a gentleman and what the nicest guy in He's the world. He's got it going there, yeah, right? He's got it going on, you know, for sure. Um, you um, mentioned Charlie Bird earlier. Charlie Bird. I mean, they're, they're all fits pro- that bill. They're, food they're, they're all doing great, you know, for sure. Um, I mean, I think Laura Manic, you know, always keeps Cork it up. Buzz. You know, with Cork Buzz, always super reliable, always super consistent. You know, always kind of changing it up. Um, and those would be sort of my go-to places. Those, those are what answers the question properly. But I will say there are two places that I absolutely love to go to. One is the classic in Paris called Willie's Wine Bar. I always have to go there. In Paris. In Paris, Willie's Wine Bar is called. So if you want the classic, typical Parisian wine bar, Willie's. Willie's Wine Bar is called. Give yeah. me the other one. And then the other one in Chablis, which I some of the best food, it's called Oufi du Zenk. Spell. A-U, second word, F-I-L, third Oufie. word, Oufi du Zenk. D-U, and then last Z-I-N-C. word. Z-I-N-C. That's it. And it's unbelievable. It's like the best deal in the world. That's incredible all right so i forgot to tell everyone i post all these answers okay i will post yannick's wine list you You know it'll be available like i do everyone (laughs) else um all right second to last question favorite all-time wine the question was originally designed like hey yannick what was the most expensive rare wine you that's not the question anymore what's the wine that was important to you you know maybe it's something heidi first date or the first time you met because yeah. I, I remember your story. There were a couple of wines that really, really influenced sure. you, you know, when you were younger. Sure. How do you answer that question? Okay, so I will just go very quickly. Um, I had a great 1974 by Marcus D'Angerville um, that was just singing at La Pole. So that was that was so far the wine of the of This recent La Pole. Re- like a diff- 74. Which one? It was the uh, Claude de Duc. Claude de Duc. Which was just absolutely okay. singing. Um, 74, one of my, yeah, Jesus. One of my favorites of all time that still stays is the 66 Vega Cecilia uh, Unico. Is that considered one of the great vintages? 
I mean, yeah, not nece- maybe, not the, but the, it's not the. But it, it's it, not like a '61 Petrus. But but, I, but no, no, it's it, a fairly good vintage. It's important but, to you. But when I opened that up, it was that just really just kind of. But the wine that that really meant a lot to me that I remember was the wine, the first bottle of wine that I had opened up after my car accident, and that was Joseph Roti de Gevry Chambertin, just straight Gevry Chambertin, Vieville 2000 vintage, which was just like. Imagine not tasting any wine or alcohol for five to six months, and then all of a sudden this explosion. Because at that moment, when I it was my first day back home, I said, "Gosh, what am I going to do?" I was depressed. I was down in the dumps, and that stimulation of that wine reinvigorated me. I said, "No, I have to figure this out. I have to get back into the game. I cannot give up." That's how you answer that question. When you ask somebody favorite all-time wine, and I've explained every show that it's morphed to right. what's an important wine, right. that's how you – if we were giving an award for the best answer, that would Thank you. All right, last question, and you certainly could handle this. Best wine around 15 20 bucks retail. Recommend a red and a white. I always say my kids are in their 20s. They're going to a party. They right. can't bring crap supermarket wine for $9. They can't afford 40 So what's 15 20 22 bucks A red and a white. You could go category white, muscadet. Yeah. You can go yeah. maker. Yeah. Give me one of each. I, I, I'm, I'm going to just stay, keep it general so it'll make it easier for you. That's fine. You know, but definitely whites right now. You can still find some, I mean, with the uh, the Spicious, and we're talking about Alvarino, and I don't want to, you know, stick on that, but... Between Albarino and then also Vino Verde, um, some they they over deliver. Great, you can find some great bottles of wine for 10, 11, 12 bucks. They're they're low in alcohol, they're quaffable, and they can go with just about anything. Great white wine for a red wine. I still think you know Cote Duron is still where it's at. I, I mean, it, it just it's always consistent. It's spicy. It's 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 meaty. It's got the complexity. You've got to get the right producer, but they're right. there. They're out there. They're they're out there to be had for and sure. Right in that price. Range. Right in that price range. All right. So I will uh, post those answers, and that's where you go into uh, Ledoux and say, "I want I spend twenty bucks for a Cote de Ron, You know, and he'll go, "I got a couple." Yeah, you know, exactly. You, you rely on your guy. All right. We have a few minutes left. Sure. To I didn't make you schlep wines for the sake of schlepping them. Yes. But you brought in a couple of Israeli wines. The first wine, let's talk about it quickly. So the first one that we have is a winery called Kishor Vineyards. K-I-S-H-O-R. Got it. You got it. Right. Is and there one wine growing region in Israel? There's, or? A, there's a couple. couple. Yeah, there's there's the Galilee. Where, uh, where's so Kishor? Is, both, both of these wines that I'm going to feature are from the Galilee. So that's way up north, right on the Mediterranean, high altitude vineyards. They can go anywhere from 500 meters up to 1,000, right? And then you have the Golan Heights, and then you have the Judean Hills, which is also pretty amazing, rich in limestone. The first one that I'm pouring you over here is Sauvignon Blanc with some Viognier in it. Um, these vineyards were were uh, planted about in 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, they're young, but the the winemaker here, his name is Richard Davis. But what's really cool about this project, what I why I wanted to show it to you, first off, it is a kosher wine. But one thing that I learned about, we have to get rid of that stigmatization that if a wine's kosher, it means bad. Absolutely not. All it is is that the 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 actual wine is being made under the observation of someone that has a religious certification. supervision. And people got to get out of it. So Kishore, what's really great about this winery, everyone that works at this winery, except for the the higher-ups, like when I say higher-ups, I mean the winemaker, they all have cognitive uh, mental disabilities. So all the, 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 those are cutting the grapes that are out in the vineyards. It's a cool project. It's a kibbutz. So they're providing 
jobs and opportunities. And this, it's, a, it's a village. They're making their own bread. They're making their own food. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool place. It's completely inspiring. So what I was talking about being sustainable, you're buying this wine, you're getting something quite good, but you also know that your money is going to a good place. So that's, I, I mean, this is just an amazing project. Leave it to you to find a wine. So Kishore, this is the 2018 white. Yes. What's a good pairing for a wine like this? Shellfish. Aperitif. Wait, shellfish pate. ain't kosher. Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> nah, I'm joking. Yeah, but so shellfish, pate? Pates that you can do, you know, simple, I mean, salads, uh, you know, freshly picked vegetables, and, and, you know, tomatoes with uh, cucumbers, anything like that. It's a simple wine, but it, it offers a lot, you know. What's approximate retail? Uh, this one, that's a good question. I think it goes retail about 20 to $25. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll double check it. All right. We got a couple of minutes. Just one to more. Taste. And this is, so this is the opposite end of this. Um, and what I mean by that, that is that this is a, a small grower producer. It's a, the guy's name is Gabby Sedan. This is Shvo Vineyards, S-H-V-O. Gabby Sedan. Shvo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he planted these vines in 2010. So you've got to keep in mind, is the, the Israeli wine industry is fairly young. But this is a blend of uh, majority Syrah with some Grenache, Mauvedre, and, and some Barbera nice. in it. It's nice. It's spicy. It's fresh. You know, this guy is hands-on. Completely uh, sustainable, um, you know. It, it's not a natural wine, but nothing's been added to it. Um, I think it's absolutely fascinating. It's good it's 2016, practices. Good practices. But I, what I wanted to show to you is to show you that there's there, there are winemakers out there like um, Gabby right now who are up and coming and who are really taking. There's some amazing terroir out there. He mostly you see a incredible limestone out there, some gravel. There's a lot happening in Israel, slowly but surely. So it needs, it needs a second look. Um, it needs a it second requires look. some of your attention, and there's some diversity there. Just the blend in this red alone is not what people you no, know, think of course about not. Israeli wines. He worked. He worked under Domaine Dujac for a couple of years, so he's got the chops. He, he, know, he does it. Yeah. So I will post these wines. Thank you, and the makers. Um, you know, I'll double check with you. All right, Yannick, thank you for bringing those thank wines you so much. in. I didn't mean to rush. No, through, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. Wines, Please thank you for having. They me. will live. Um, <laughs> on the website with some detail. All right, we got to wrap up. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation, on Instagram at sbenruby, and on Twitter at benruby. You could always use the hashtag, The Grape Nation. Um, we'll post Yannick's wine list. We'll post the weekly wine sips, you know, that we drank from Israel. Yannick, let's just go over this one more time. If we want more information about the upcoming Wine on Wheels, go to wheeling... No, go uh, wineonwheels.org. www.wineonwheels.org. The way it sounds. Um, and that is April... April 4th, Saturday, April 4th. Coming yeah. up in a few weeks. Um, and there are tickets still available. Some great experiences. We'll keep you up on Contento. We're looking at somewhere around May, we That's hope. Yep, yep. Um, and if we want to follow you and your follies on social media, it's at Yannick Benjamin, right? At Yannick Benjamin. Yep, exactly. All right. I want to thank my friend Yannick Benjamin. Thank you. For coming in. And I'm always happy to discuss the great stuff that you're doing. Um, I will check back with you and keep up on everything. I will see you at Wine on Wheels. Thank you to everyone at Heritage Radio. Thanks to our engineer, Amanda. I'm Sam Ben Rubin. You've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thank you very much. Thanks.
The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.